Shish Al Madrasati, everyone, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. That, by the way, is Arabic for schools out. A wow. phrase, I think, that characterizes the feeling uh, going into this race, for me at least. Uh, I'm Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? That's amazing. I'm I'm great. I didn't know Alice Cooper was so popular in the uh, in the in the United <laughs> Arab Emirates, but uh, there you go. The, the the more you know. Also joining us, Rob Zachney. How are you, Rob? Not too bad. Fantastic. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're new to Formula One itself, uh, well, this is the <laughs> no last race time. of the season. There really isn't, actually. <laughs> if you uh, if you got way into it right now, you've got a whole season to watch during uh, the off season of Formula One. Good Just point. in time to uh to come uh, around for the 2020 season uh you can also listen to our preseason primer episode which assumes no prior f1 knowledge uh, and gives the lowdown on uh, how the sport works and who everybody is so if you want to listen to that it's uh you can go back and look at episode 59 uh, also this show is sport- supported entirely by our audience at patreon.com slash shift f1 where every month we release at least one bonus podcast and bonus video exclusively for our patrons covering racing documentaries and films f1 video games primers for other series and a lot of other weird stuff so if you'd like to support the show and get access to all that fun stuff uh head over to patreon.com slash shift f1 or click the link in the show notes uh what's going on this month danny yeah, just as for folks who are patrons or maybe thinking about being patrons as well, uh, they should know that while the season is ending, the the patron content will slick you coming every month. Um, and we're probably going to do a little bit of a, uh, you know, a, a so we'll do some stuff on this feed as well. Maybe we'll talk about it on this podcast or maybe on the ne- next week's. But in terms of what's coming up this month for patrons, we have a primer for Formula E, which uh, actually just started uh, the season, the 2019-2020 season, which, let's be honest, is mostly the 2020 season, um, started last weekend in Saudi Arabia. So we will be uh, talking basically about the drivers, how that sport works, the teams, the specs, all that goodness. And that podcast will be up for patrons uh, pretty soon. We're recording it right after this one. And also there will be another F1 game history. Uh, excited to get into uh, some of our what are we calling it season break content on patreon as well i think there's gonna be a lot of fun stuff going up over the break yes uh today however we will be discussing the upcoming abu dhabi grand prix uh but first the news uh we talked maybe not last episode but um the certainly the one before that about formula one's like green initiative and Mm. at the time it was really vague but formula one.com has uh, an article up on sort of more details about what that is actually going to mean and one of the things that formula one i guess is planning on doing um is uh uh, or one of the 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 prongs is biofuels so apparently according to this article um, the current regulations say that 5.75% of the fuel must be biofuel, but in 2021, according to F1 T- Chief Technical Officer Pat Simmons, uh, F1 is looking to, quote, increase that to 10% with the goal to get to 100% advanced sustainable fuels. This one doesn't say when 100% advanced fuels is going to be. I assume that it would be 2030 when that's like their... Um, Stretch uh, proposed. Goal. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, he also has some some interesting quotes in further down in this article about why they don't want to go electric, which I thought was really interesting. Uh, oh, yeah. the, art, the article says, and again, this is on Formula1.com, so straight from, uh, uh, you know, the horse's, the horse's mouth, as it were. Uh, <laughs> while it seems that vehicles are increasingly moving toward electric powertrains, more than 90% of the world's vehicles are still powered by internal combustion engines, ICEs, and that's where carbon emissions could be reduced in the short term. Furthermore, it's difficult to power larger vehicles such as trucks and aircraft with electric powertrains, so it's still worth focusing on the ICE and its fuels. Quote, However, what we cannot do is carry on digging those out of the ground, continues Simmons. We're going to have to ex- somehow uh, synthesize them, and that's what we want Formula One to explore and hopefully uh, to lead. So completely synthetic combustion-based fuel is the goal, apparently. How do you, so wh- basically where, where would you get <laughs> Where would you get these synthetic well, it fuels? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Like, it's not the fuel, like, it's okay if we pulled oil from the ground. 
and the emissions weren't the issue. It's the emissions. It's the burning it. Like it's not that it's it's not that it's oil from the ground that's bad and it has all these other you know chemicals in it. It is that the process of using an internal combustion engine to burn a fuel creates an emission that cr- like drives global warming and greenhouse gases. Um, and the wrap on biofuels is that it really like with a lot of things, a lot of it depends on where you're sourcing it from. Like for instance, um, like the history of synthetic fuels goes back basically to world war two in Germany, right. As they sort of cut off from oil and they start developing um, synthetics to power increasingly power uh, their fleet of military vehicles. And I think their first synthetic fuels came from like potatoes. I want to say like Mm. there was a famine in late war Germany in part because so much of their food crops got diverted into like synthetics. Yeah. Big, big part of the Irish diaspora as well was because we were just doing too many open wheel races during that period of time. A great, a great tragedy. Uh, the, The Irish just felt that need for speed. Um, I know. Well, we got Eddie Irvine out of it, so it all worked out, you know? Yeah. But the, so that was kind of a model that was encouraged as well for like, what if we could create, what if we could take um, arable farmland and turn that into a source for fuel as oil becomes more scarce? Increasingly, oil scarcity is not the issue. That is not the concern. The concern is the emissions. Where you can get some savings is we are in an era of uh, what I've heard some in the oil industry call like dirty oil. The idea of like 50, 60 years ago, you could sink a well and you got the Beverly Hillbillies gusher, right? And it was just like, (laughs) oh, shit, like oil out of the ground. Daniel Plainview. Right. And now increasingly, like you, you hear things about like tar sands and such were like really inefficient or hard to access sources of oil that do create a lot of energy overhead and create a lot of environmental impact just mm-hmm. to get the oil out. Biofuel does solve for some of that, but then it still has to hit an engine and still get burned. Mm-hmm. And as I understand it, and I, you know, it was just reading a little bit about this, uh, you know, as this topic came up, but it doesn't sound like biofuel really solves the emissions problem. Um, And I'm looking at a piece in the guardian from 2017 uh, where, you know, a survey of different biofuel sources found a lot of them are worse than oil. Oh, wow. Like, and this is 2017. Like, obviously the idea is that technology is going to continue improving, but I don't think that biofuel actually solves the, problem we're facing um, i mean i think yeah, it would be it, interesting to, to to sick formula one on that to try to solve it but i think you're right rob to point out that that doesn't seem like the precise problem that they are aiming to solve no i mean think about like where have you seen the most aggressive biofuel advertising who's who's marketing the idea of biofuel as right. a solution yeah. to the crisis Pet- petrochemical companies right yeah yeah it's people looking down the barrel of inevitable environmental regulation Mm. and trying to figure out how you can, you know, create the smokeless cigarette, basically, of (laughs) the oil industry. Uh, So, I don't know. This is a pretty disappointing initiative because, like, I understand that – I understand there are some things that internal combustion engines are really good at that that they're kind of ideal for – uh, and I understand maybe, you know, F1 is not quite ready to go purely electric, but this notion that biofuel is some sort of like, ah, there we go, solve that problem, just doesn't, you know, not to be too online about it, but my reaction to this is very much like, this ain't it. <laughs> but like, uh, I think we'd be kidding ourselves if we didn't think that this entire initiative wasn't mostly about the optics, right? And And... The, the word biofuel in and of itself is an entirely, like, it's a, that's a marketing, like, word. You know They're I mean? all bio. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> when you get right down to it. So, like, a lot of this stuff doesn't hold up to that type. It doesn't hold up to scrutineering, right? Like, when you get right down to it. In the same way as well, if you talk about, like, Teslas and you're like, yeah, it's wonderful. Electric cars getting powered off the same grid that everything else is. 
you know, you try and hope maybe that these things are a means to an end or like a a step towards a brighter future. But yeah, you're you're totally right. It's 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 kind of a to to me at least this whole part of it. If if they were doing this, you know, this is what F one's going to be in ten years time, and they didn't have something that was you know bending the knee somewhat to environmentalists, then they'd be called out on it. It's just sad, I guess, that the reality of this stuff is... Like, what we need to fix these problems are such massive institutional changes to the way in which we create energy that, like, even F1 can't get ahead of that, right? What do we... What do we unless, like... What, like, what's the alternative? Solar cars? We'd have to get rid well, of the Abu Dhabi race then. <laughs> I think there is a missing opportunity here, though, and this is what frustrates me, is it feels like Formula One looked at this situation and they were like, well, how can we partner with the Petro... Uh, Mm. where what I think could be an opportunity for Formula One and like this is sort of the stuff that George Russell was like pointing at right is that the opportunity is actually in reimagining how complicated logistical chains that span the globe can be reimagined to have a lower over lower overhead uh, of emissions uh, to make it less energy and emissions intensive to do things like send bespoke parts and, uh, you know, cars around the world. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it means like Formula One gets super into advanced printables or something so that there's fab facilities around the world and basically you're not shipping cars, you're you're shipping files. Um, I don't know like what that looks like, but I think there's an opportunity there of, okay, you can still have Formula One, something like Formula One, which is not just like this pinnacle of motorsport, but is also kind of a pinnacle of this globalized era we've all been living in and the interconnected economies and, uh, you know, manufacturing and resources that have sort of defined this era. How do we keep what is good about this modernity that we've come to know? while reducing its devastating environmental impact. I think Formula One could lead in some of that stuff because mm. the thing that people are often frightened of giving up is like, or hesitant to give up in, in the, uh, you know, wealthiest parts of the developed world are the really high-end luxuries. And there's nothing more like luxurious or consumptive than, <laughs> than Formula One. But this notion that you can, you could maybe reimagine the sport retain its identity and retain what's cool and ridiculous about it, but also make it less harmful is intriguing to me. What's far less intriguing is this idea of gesturing vaguely at like an algae pool and being like, someday our cars will run on that, I guess. (laughs) See, it's green. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Uh, Speaking of clearing the air, very well Danny. done. <laughs> yes, uh, this one from uh, from Put he Ferrari saves, on the case. He saves he <laughs> saves the best till the uh, till the end of the season. Uh, the yeah, this one coming from Reuters. This one just basically about uh, Ferrari. Uh, yeah, clearing the air in relation to that um, haphazard collision. Shall we shall we say between Vettel and um, Charlotte Claire at uh, Team Boss? Well, before we talk sorry. about it, let's get the O'Dwyer opinion on it. We uh, we missed you last week. Yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, what an awful race to... I was literally getting on a plane like an hour after the race or after or before you were recording the podcast thinking, God, can I just do the podcast while I'm in the airport maybe? It was <laughs> it was such a fun race. Um, I mean, look, I, I think Vettel, Vettel's sort of... We've seen the tapes from previous races again. He He tried to give himself a little bit more space so he wasn't in such a disadvantageous position making that left at the end of the straight uh and obviously the clear wasn't moving and they hit so like i don't know it's like one of those times where somebody hits max when max acts weird and then people tend to give max a little bit more elbow room you know what i mean or mm-hmm. obviously charles is not interested in doing that Vettel's not interested in 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 keeping where he was he had enough space he could have stayed there it's this it's similar to the hamilton albon thing where like lewis there was a gap there should Lewis have, you know, in an album closed it haphazardly, but also was Lewis going to make it? He kind of committed too late. And it was just what both of them were just kind of messy crashes. I think Hamilton was more at fault for the Albon one uh, in a way. And obviously he ended up getting the penalty. So just Stewart saw that, saw it that way too. But for the Ferrari one, I think it was just, 
it was unfortunate for both of them. I think if anyone was to blame, it was Vettel. But also, how to blame was he? He didn't really crash into him that bad. And the resulting damage to both cars was was probably more than you would normally see in that type of incident. So, um yeah, and, and I guess, like, maybe Ferrari just want to sweep it under the rug as quickly as possible. I think for that reason, nobody really comes out of this one looking good. The team don't. Vettel looked a bit amateurish doing it. And Leclerc, it's not as if he can, you know, say he was completely innocent either. He held his line. And sometimes when you hold your line, people hit into you, right? So that's kind of part of it. Um, uh, as for Ferrari themselves, uh, team boss Mattia Bonato said after the race at Interlagos that there would be a review with the drivers at the Manello factory to go through uh, what went on and how to prevent any recurrence. Uh, this quote from the story, since last Sunday, Mattia and the drivers have spoken every day as they would normally do anyway, so there was no official summit nor video conference, a Ferrari spokeswoman said. Uh, they know that silly mistakes are uh, still silly mistakes. What happened today is a shame for the team, Bonato said at the time. Um, so they're saying that the air is now fully cleared and they're focusing on Abu Dhabi. I think a large part of this as well is the fact that ultimately it didn't really matter. Uh, Ferrari are basically secure in the uh, second place in the Constructors' Championships. Um, probably didn't help the squabble between the two drivers, but you know both of them lost all their points. So I think, yeah, the best thing they can do is just look towards the the next race it's 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 a city crash kind of a good thing i guess it happened this late in the season but it's been a weird season for the two of those guys i think uh next year is going to be interesting especially as we i don't know the question of who the number one driver there is even more gray than it was at the start of this season well uh speaking of number one drivers kimmy raikkonen uh <laughs> just got a, a few a few quick links here not a lot of news maybe you can tell going on into this uh final race of the season but uh reddit formula one um subreddit pulled up this uh picture of Kimi Räikkönen uh playing Colin McRae Colin McRae rally 2.0 on a PlayStation 1 during his military service and I just wanted to share it with everybody cuz it's great that's fantastic yeah i guess is finland like a lot of it's like germany and other ones where you you do a year of uh civil service or military time yeah yeah Yeah, mandatory uh um military service in in finland Mm. uh yeah a very young can be reckoning yeah Um, very young he's he's almost smiling as well (laughs) just about yeah uh, other links around the internet, uh, Red Bull had a video go, uh, around Twitter and basically everywhere this week of them performing a zero G pit stop. <laughs> um, and I think you pointed out Danny that like Red Bull is known for doing these kind of media stunts, uh, and, and videos like this, but it's, it's almost too well produced of a video that it doesn't even look real. Totally. It's it like you need a little bit of dirt in your when you're doing something this fantastical. And I mean, they open up with a sort of a Doctor Strangelove type like setup at the start. And then the actual how they're like, presumably this is real, but it's it's so staged and directed. Like there are shots here that are definitely directed like they this isn't like, you know, whatever his name felix what's his face jumping out of a balloon right this like one this one (laughs) shot this is this is something that was like very well lit and very well put together and has lots of very expensive cameras and it even has a pullout shot at the end which is meant to i guess show the rest of the crew bolted into this plane doing it and even that looks too well lit (laughs) it's just (laughs) like like red bull have a really big media house and they make awesome stuff they make they make films they they have loads of websites they make marketing stuff um yeah this it's obvious it's it's so good looking that i'm still not 100 percent convinced it's real <laughs> it's it's real the uh, formula1.com uh put up a uh an article <clears throat> that sort of gives a little look behind the scenes uh they cl- say that the um uh the red bull team endured seven flights and around yeah, 80 okay. parabolas uh in a Illusion IL-76 MDK cosmonaut training plane. That's that's far too many times to listen to a Tool album. (laughs) Uh, Red Bull mechanic Paul Knight (laughs) says, uh, the first parabola we did was really quite strange. And I guess if if you're unfamiliar, these planes, they climb at 45 degrees and then fall again at 45 degrees 
to simulate zero gravity. It's how they filmed Apollo 13. It's how they train astronauts. Um, he says there isn't a sensation of going up or down climbing at two G with twice your normal body weight. feels like being planted into the ground and you struggle to move. Then that sensation reverses when you go over the top and into free fall. We were all a bit like Bambi on ice at first legs everywhere, but we figured out how to hold ourselves and the best way to deal with the sensations. It's an amazing experience and nothing like you'd ever imagine. Uh, wow. I, I, I'm with you, Danny though. Like I want to see, uh, the rest of the footage. I want to see them like screwing it up. It's it's also like an incredibly dangerous thing when you consider that there is a a very heavy car floating around with them. Like yeah, if at any stage the 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 gravity is you know the plane has to do so. Obviously, I don't know at all about how the, yeah I don't yeah, like, I don't know how that stuff works right like is it mitigated by just the the, the speed and angle you're taking or it, you're the expert in this case Drew you're the only one of us <laughs> who flies planes um but yeah I I I just thought you can see when they're putting the car down at one stage like you got to make sure like the plane is straight but like if you're in there they, they, you have nothing like I wondered at all times that they tried to have no limbs underneath the car just in case right because uh, it is a very 2000 dangerous. it's a 2005 spec red bull uh right. which is much narrower apparently so they were able to flip it around and it's a cool video of course so i'll, I'll link it in the show notes but just wanted to point that out um and one more <laughs> even weirder link that what i will link about? here this is so strange uh f1 apparently getting into they, i mean they are with liberty media they are pulling out all the stops with tie-ins and um you know f1 card games and mobile apps and now they're now they're into blockchain uh apparently you can enter this contest by picking which cars you think are the most popular or something and then win what they are calling non-fungible tokens oh my god based on the ethereum blockchain <laughs> jesus christ uh <laughs> this is like which, when i talk to my dad about how to like change his password on his router yeah like, what <laughs> yeah uh it's called f1 delta time so i'll put a link to that in uh the show notes there's only 43 hours all, left to enter uh, make of it what you so will. are they they're auctioning the f1 cars and you you guess the order in which they will auction them off but you have to connect your blockchain account to do so what yeah it's like a it's like a raffle i guess and you get some of these like they wouldn't be usable as a currency they're more like um like digital collectibles and because they run on the ethereum blockchain uh that guarantees that they are verifiably unique well, yeah, all that, as bad as that is, or as confusing <laughs> as that is, nothing is as confusing as the graphic of what I assume is meant to be Lewis Hamilton, if you scroll down that <laughs> website. It looks like Lewis Hamilton and Robert Kubica have been molded together. <laughs> have you seen this picture? Yes. What is going yeah, on? Vettel and Verstappen look all right, but yeah, yeah. I'm not, I don't know what's going on. It's like the Aphex twin. It's like Richard D. James has has like... Got, has like possessed lewis hamilton for a second it's like window liquor it's a nightmare oh, so weird there you go uh, something to do while the season's over let's get out of blockchain land and go to the far far away danny of abu dhabi <laughs> the far far away yeah exactly you were gonna go say far east weren't you until you realized there was several other races further east of us than this one well, it's a sphere, so... That's true. It's all relative, I guess. Uh, yes, uh, Abu Dhabi do. We're off to <laughs> the United Arab Emirates, everyone. Um, yeah, this is the 11th year we're here at the Yas Marina uh, Circuit, built on Yas Island outside of Abu Dhabi. If you're there, mm. you can see Abu Dhabi off in the distance. Uh, Ferrari World a little bit closer. Um, it's built on a marina. Abu Dhabi's not really necessarily on this part of the coast where this track is is a little bit further away where this marina is and they sort of built it up um uh, i was there maybe six or seven years ago now at this stage uh so it's uh it's actually a pretty easy track to get to and be around um infrastructure wise uh and it's uh it's certainly a unique part of the world and it, it 
part of it looks like Monaco because it has a marina there. Part of it looks like every other Herman Tilke track you, you've seen. Um, shed loads of runoff, runoff for days. Uh, but the unique aspect, I guess, of this track is that it is a, it is a, a sunset race. It, it starts in the evening and it ends underneath the gorgeous uh, floodlit track, sometimes underneath the actual physical hotel that is built around the track as well, with its uh, rather remarkable light show sort of exterior. Uh, the track itself, 5.5 kilometers, pretty much the average speed of uh, of the F1 season. It's uh, very flat. It's got 21 turns, 55 laps, technical in parts, smooth and fast in other parts, um, and uh, has two DRS straights as well. It, it's, it's pretty much like we split every F1 track into three sectors in case you've never seen that or heard of it on the, here on the podcast. And this is one of those tracks that actually feels like each sector is its own thing. Uh, the, the first part of the track has lots of swooping fast turns. Uh, the, the first three or four turns are uh, very well regarded by the drivers. They seem to enjoy them. Um, a sort of a swooping downhill on turn three uh, uh, into a, a tough braking zone. One of a couple of tough braking zones here on this track at turn five. Uh, the, the middle sector comprises of two very long straights, both of which have DRS zones. They're split up by uh, uh, two little 90-degree turns uh, on turn eight and nine. Uh, lots of overtaking down both of those straights, uh, we'll probably see. And then the third sector sector is this incredibly technical uh, part of the track that has half of the turns of the track in it uh, between 11 and 21. Uh, this is a sector where drivers tend to try and get down here with cool tires uh, during the end of their quali laps because you can lose a lot of time here, but you can also gain time here if you uh, hit the apexes correctly. So it's a, it's a funny little track. The first park sort of like windy and fast, like maybe the first sector of uh, Circuit of the Americas, for instance. The second one comprises almost entirely of these long straights. And then the third, this sort of technical little uh, hodgepodge through the marina and, and back onto the, uh, the, the relatively short, actually, uh, start-finish straight you have here. The other, I guess, unique aspect of this track is the underground pit lane exit, which we had finally somebody crashed in. I think it was... was it formula two or somebody did no it wasn't formula two it was some other support race off of a off of an f1 weekend actually some other type of race somebody finally crashed in it and they had to um stop the events to clear it out uh that's that's kind of neat i guess um but yeah aside from that it's a it's a interesting track there's usually some overtaking here a little bit of battles here and there but you know, it often is only as good as the season it has and for the past couple of seasons everything's been wrapped up by the time we got here so we've not had um we haven't had the, the like the crazy one that happened six or seven years ago where or maybe longer maybe it was eight or nine years ago now where there was five possible winners of the f1 uh championship that you're going into it uh, as for more recent uh, years i guess uh, hamilton and vettel are the the two who have won it the most hamilton's won it four times vettel three times in 2017 votas got pole and won it um, at the end of his, I guess, first season at Mercedes. Uh, 2018, that was last year, we had Hulkenberg getting flipped. You might remember that in the Drive to Survive episode. It was Roman Grosjean clipped him on the in between those two DRS zones, and he really aggressively flew up, um, uh, landed on his back, and said, I'm hanging here like a cow or something, I remember he said, <laughs> while the car burst into flames. Uh, Will Smith was there. We saw too many shots of him, uh, and Hamilton <laughs> ultimately run. Uh, we also got some donuts. Yeah, wasn't that last year where yep. um, the three world champions Fernando Alonso, uh, oh, yeah. Sebastian Vettel, and Lewis Hamilton did donuts on the start finish straight? Really, really a cool moment. Uh, I think also wasn't it 2016 here where it came down? Am I remembering this right? If it came down to the last race between Hamilton and Rosberg for the championship, yes. and Hamilton tried to back Rosberg into somebody else, it was wrapped. It required, yeah, I think it basically required Hamilton because I don't think he could have. I don't, I'm not sure if Vettel overtaking him would have given Hamilton the championship. Hmm. Was it that simple? I feel like he needed more, even more of a miracle, like maybe force an accident or something. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I remember he needed Rosberg to like. Like not get points as well, or something. Right? Uh, yeah, because I remember Vettel on like being on the radio and being like, "What the hell is Lewis doing?" <laughs> like, yeah, it was probably like 
one of Lewis's poorer moments uh, as as a sportsman. Uh, Tire-wise, we've got the C3, C4, and C5, the uh, softest of Pirelli's range. Um, Pretty even split. People are taking either one or two hards, uh, three or four mediums, and uh, eight or nine uh, softs. Uh, The only outliers here are uh, Gasly and Russell, who are taking only two mediums, two hards, and nine softs. Mm. Um, Yeah, not not a lot of variation. Looks like teams, though, are splitting the strategies. I don't think any uh, Perez and Stroll are the only teammates, I think, taking the same sets. It's either one or two hards, three or four mediums, and they are both taking uh, two hard, three medium, and eight softs. So uh, weather-wise, Yas Marina looks to be uh, just balmy on qualifying day, (laughs) around 80 degrees Fahrenheit or 27, 26 if you're Celsius. Um, precipitation, 0% on qualifying day, although the humidity will be around 60%. Uh, on race day, very similar conditions, uh, no chance of rain, uh, 60% humidity, and um, yeah, similar, similar temps as well. Wind, though, I think might be a factor on qualifying day and uh, race day. It'll be about 10 miles an hour or 16 kilometers an hour uh, out of the, what is that? The Northwest? Yeah. Don't know how that translates to the track, but uh, good luck to everyone out there uh, trying to drive around it. Uh, in driver standings, Lewis Hamilton, our champion, has uh, secured first place with 387 points Valtteri Bottas in second with 314 Max Verstappen is in third with 260 points behind him Charlotte Claire with 249 his teammate Sebastian Vettel's in fifth with three uh, I'm sorry 230 uh, then we got a tie between Pierre Gasly and Carlos Sainz the two uh, podium placers from last race with 95 points <laughs> that'll come down to the last race of the season Alex nice. Albon's got 84 Danny Rick has uh, 54, and Sergio Perez in 10th place with 46. Behind him, we've got Norris with 45, and Raikkonen with 43. That's a close battle. Nico Hulkenberg's got 37. Danny Kvyat with 35. Lance Stroll in 15th place with 21 points. Kevin Magnussen's got 20. Antonio Giovinazzi with 14 points. Roman Grosjean's got 8. Bobby Kay with 1. And George Russell still bringing up the uh uh-oh. Yeah, I guess I should probably uh, take back what I said earlier about Ferrari not really losing out in the end when it comes to last week because Max Verstappen, boy, oh boy, Mm -hmm. sitting pretty in third position. Yikes, that's going to be... That might be the one to watch now between... I mean, Vettel's basically third now. uh, You know, we'll we'll have to see, but definitely a battle between Leclerc and Verstappen for third. Uh, Maybe Leclerc and Vettel for fifth. Uh, Yeah, that'll be fun. And also, obviously, watching Toro Rosso and McLaren fight for sixth position as well. It'll be fun. Yeah, in Constructors, Mercedes on top with 701 points. Ferrari's in second with 479. Red Bull's got 391. McLaren, I think, has clinched fourth place with 140. Nice. Uh, Renault's got 91 in fifth place. Scuderia Toro Rosso! I think... We're, we're getting down to the, the oh, last no. few times that we're going to say yeah. that. Damn it. Uh, they're in six with 83 points. Racing points got 67. Alfa Romeo's got 57. Gene Haas and team, 28 points. And Williams with their Uno. Realistically, you're probably not going to see any changes in this race. Unless we haven't... Although last week we did have some very new faces on the podium. But, <laughs> but the chances are that's, that's going to be how it ends. I think yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Uh, right. I, I would, I would read out the shift F1 fantasy league standings, but I'm getting a error code four Oh three forbidden. I don't know why. Oh so, yeah. Uh, me too. Yeah. The you're website on that blockchain seems to be website. <laughs> <laughs> should use the tour browser. <clears throat> um, all right. Should we take it to some emails, Danny? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, ShiftF1podcast.gmail.com or, of course, f1.cool slash emails uh, if you want to talk about, uh, if you want to send us some emails. We we had a, <laughs> I, I always love going back into the emails to see uh, what y'all have been talking about last week. And boy, oh boy, did it look like some chat happened about racing wheels or racing seats. <laughs> uh, we'll get to that in a second. But Drew, do you want to read this uh, this first email from Andy? 
Sure. Um, Andy says, I recall a couple weeks ago you were all talking about how positions in the constructor's standings determine different payouts. If I recall correctly, you mentioned that there wasn't much info out there about how much money is wrapped up in each place. To this end, however, I noticed an interesting moment in the official F1 YouTube channel's post-race paddock pass video during Will, Bunks Will Buxton's interview of Pierre Gasly around the 458 mark. Will starts discussing that Toro Rosso could pull ahead of Renault for fifth place in the constructor's standings. Pierre brings up that his victory secured some serious money for Scuderia Toro Rosso and says, quote, there was 10 million between seventh and sixth in the championship. Hmm. This doesn't uh, eludicate the entire payout structure of the Constructors' Championship, but I still thought it was interesting to get some insight on the hard numbers involved. Uh, yeah, this is another one of those things um, that is not surfaced very well. Uh, I did some Googling and found an article on Autosport from 2017 and race fans from uh, 2018, which, uh, and there's an added wrinkle to this is in that it, it's all going to change in 2021. Right. But how it currently works is if you imagine an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, oh, oh, please. You're speaking are, my language. There are two, there are two <laughs> primary columns that we'll be talking about. Column one um, is uh, a pot divided equally among all teams. So in 2017, each team got $36 million hmm. uh, in column one. Column two is, according to Autosport, calculated on a sliding scale from first to 10th place with first receiving 19%, uh, sixth, 9%, and 10th, 4%. So hmm. that that matters on how you place. Uh, you get more for coming in first and less for coming in 10th. That sounds more equitable than I would have thought. Like for first to get twice as much, basically, as sixth and four times as much as last. That's, I mean, maybe I'm just used to the races are race uh, points being handed out in such a uh <laughs> less equitable logarithmic manner. yeah yes exactly yeah um yeah and, and and that does seem uh simple and fair to me and that is what how it's going to be from 2021 on i believe right. um the the difference the things that are being dropped are these weird separate deals that other uh um constructors have made uh including ferrari mercedes red bull and mclaren um, Red Bull receives an extra payment for being the first team to sign the current bilateral agreement, which runs to 2020, and this totals $35 million. Mm. Um, Williams collects a heritage payment, and Ferrari receives a gigantic long-standing team payment, which I think is like... It's huge. 60, $68 million or something? <clears throat> Yikes. Um, yeah, and so there's all these little bonuses that because, uh, just because you're Ferrari, you get this. And I think all of those are being axed. And so we're only going to have column one and two. Um, and uh, I think it bears uh, pointing out that the total prize pot is, uh, at least it was in 2017, uh, two-thirds of the projected underlying revenue of Formula One. Um, so in 2017, the... Uh, turnover of Formula One was $1.83 billion with underlying revenues estimated at 1.38. 68% um, of that is $940 million, and that was the total prize pot. So it's about a billion dollars that the teams are getting uh, distributed to them uh, based on all that weird Excel uh, calculation. So hopefully that uh, answers, answers your question, Andy. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yikes. Uh, all right, let's get to the other email. This is kind of like a, a melange of a couple of different emails we got. A couple, like a dozen emails we got. Um, <laughs> people giving their feedback on the various types of wheels that they have. Um, Jason in Chicago talks about uh, a rather expensive rig that he bought uh, off of Obuto, I believe it is. O-B-U-T-T-O, um, which is, uh, he said, was worth checking out. Uh, Johnny emailed in to say that he was a big fan of his Fantech wheel after using a Logitech one for a number of years. Um, uh, but this one, I want to uh, read it out. TJ sent this in, and also Daniel emailed in something very similar um, about a foldable rig, which I had actually never heard of before. Uh, TJ says, hi, guys. On the last podcast, someone asked about racing seats. Last year, I was shopping for a seat, but didn't want to commit the space or money for something huge. I stumbled onto the play seat challenge. The idea is similar to a folding lawn chair. The seat is uh, seat back is adjustable. So mine is laid back similar to an F1 seat. Uh, the whole seat folds up with the wheels and pedals attached and stores away. 
It's not oh. extremely stiff like most seats, but coming from the Xbox 360 wheel resting on my lap a few years ago, it's a huge upgrade. Uh, I have found it to be a great option for someone that just wants to test out uh, the racing seat world. And uh, there's a link there to a website which kind of shows it off, uh, playseatstore.com. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, it's about uh, the one that he mentioned. It does look like a bit of a, a folding chair. It's about 250 uh, dollars i'm seeing here obviously that'll change wherever you're buying it um can i give a little bit of feedback on the stuff that i've used sure uh, um so in the past uh the wheel i used a lot was a, a logitech g29 it's a pretty common sort of good entry level wheel i would say you can get them for about 200 bucks it'll work on either they always work on pc but it's whether or not it'll work on pc and ps4 that one does it's the and same one that rob you recommended last yeah, week right? right yeah yeah it's solid. Uh, I used it for a number of years. Uh, the way I used to use it actually was I bought a, I want to say it's Ikea. I built, Ikea has like a, uh, like a tiny little platform that you'd use to basically like, it's like a sofa table that, that where it has like, uh, the, it has like a little platform, almost like you'd have a TV dinner tray, but it's, it tucks underneath your sofa, like the, like almost like a C turned on its side where you're, or a C where half of like the underside will be underneath your sofa and then the up top side will be above it. And I think this thing costs like $30 or something to make. And I used to strap my wheel to that. I used to put a couple of books on that and then screw my Logitech G29 into that. And it wasn't ideal, but it was like an incredibly cheap way of being able to drive one of those seats. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll see if I can find that. Maybe we can stick that link in the show notes. It's like a very, it's it's somewhere between having a seat and the just having it on your lap suggestion that TJ talked about. Um, but recently, obviously, I did the 24-hour uh, racing for Extra Life and uh, I upgraded or was given an upgrade by Thrustmaster to the TGT, which definitely feels a lot more like like a real wheel it's weightier the force feedback is better uh but you're going to pay for it obviously um tgt costs about 500 dollars on its own um they also sent over a open wheel racing add-on which i'd never used before which was fantastic which is the paddle shifters all the little dials on it uh um, and stuff like that Uh, i the the one that they sent over works with i want to say i think that whole wheel setup is actually designed with uh gran turismo sport in mind so there's a bunch of stuff that the wheel does that only works in gt sport but of course i was playing the f1 game and it did this did the job and then uh the thing i really want to recommend as well is that the racing seat and obviously i was going from a piece of ikea furniture that i strapped together to this um but uh next level racing sent over their uh fgt uh, seat which can be set up in either sort of rally normal mode or in f1 where you're kind of sitting uh, you know, at a little bit of a 30 degree angle, maybe with your, with your legs higher than your arse. Uh, and, uh, I mean, I did it for 16 hours. That was the first time I used it, both the wheel and the seat. Uh, and though the seat now has some pretty interesting sweat marks on it from my ass being on it for almost a whole day, uh, it did the job. It was, um, yeah, it's, it's light to move around. Uh, and it, uh, it was comfortable to be in for what I would consider too long to be using a wheel and seat. Um, but yeah, I think it's funny, isn't it? There's like so many different scales to this. People were sending in emails of those like crazy gyro versions where you're sitting in a seat that's floating in the air and <laughs> so going up and down. The most ridiculous experience I ever had was um, at E3 two years ago. What what forts are they up to right now? Seven, six, seven, right? Oh. Yeah, must yeah. be seven, isn't it? Microsoft had a sim set up at their uh you know at their event for the new forza and it was one of those like pneumatically powered ace uh, ace we're an ace no is it ace no is it not seven came out in 2017 does that sound right yeah yeah okay so it was for seven and it was such an incredible experience i would say it was actually scary like, you know how, like, when you actually, when you sit in a high-performance car, the thing that surprises you is the violence of the acceleration. Like, you just, right. sitting in a daily driver, you just never experience what, like, 
a sub four seconds, zero to 60 feels like, right? You just don't encounter it. Um, and this setup definitely gave you that. And it, it, it like, I haven't forgotten it because it did make me understand how someone could end up just pouring thousands of dollars into their sim setup for like the floating suspension with the multi-axis like pivots and twists and rotations because like <laughs> by the end of that i was exhausted like there was so much force feedback and the seat was throwing me back and forth so hard that like just doing a few laps in four to seven i was tired in a way i've never been tired from like sim racing because it <laughs> felt like i've been wrestling a car for the last you know 20 minutes that's awesome wow yeah, I've n- I've never done that, uh, and I think that's something that people kind of overlook when they imagine what it's like to drive a racing car is the the physicality associated with it, like fighting the car and 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 uh, I mean, and you weren't even dealing with g forces, Rob. No, no, I mean, right. to a degree, they're trying to simulate them, right? I think they're trying to exaggerate. Like sometimes it felt like the way it was throwing me was more than like the camber of the suspension it was trying to give you a sense of like being jammed into your seat oh in like when you accelerate it, it tilts back. you backward yeah okay That's like so it cool. would tip you back hard um so it was trying it was trying to do some of that but it, yeah you can't get it all the way there but i think it did sort of evoke how much there was a point where i was definitely changing my braking because i just didn't want to get slammed forward quite so hard and so i eased into a corner a couple times because i was like no (laughs) i just i don't want to do it uh it was like the pistons on these things were massive by the way they they looked like they belonged on like a truck suspension uh just just a massive air suspension i would say uh the god it was like almost like a football width for each uh driver it was it was pretty wild Cool. Love it. Um, well, that's it for emails. You can also hit us up on Twitter at Shift F1 Podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That's at Rob Zachney and at Danny O'Dwyer. Uh, mm. That's us around the internet. Let's take it around the world, Danny. It's time to race around the world. Yeah. Well, on my calendar, racing is happening at one specific location on the world at the Yas Marina Circuit. We've got uh, <laughs> Formula Two and Formula One. Wait, is it uh, is Gander Mountain silent? I the 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 trucks are not roaring this weekend. <laughs> no longer does smoke billow from the top of Gander Mountain. <laughs> no longer is there think- the rumble of V eight truck engines. I think they're changing the name again next oh, year. Oh, for goodness sake. No. Change it back. Bring it back to Change Gander Mountain. Back. Please. Scuderia Tarasa forever. Gander Mountain forever. Yeah. I'm with you. Uh, Formula One kicks off this Friday, November 29th at 4 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPN2, followed by Practice 2, which incidentally is the only practice session that uh, goes from day to night, like the race does. Mm. Um, that will be Friday, November 29th at 8 a.m. Eastern Time on ESPNU, just for you. Uh, practice 3, Saturday, November 30th at 5 a.m. on ESPN2, followed by qualifying same channel at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Then we've got the race, everyone, Sunday, December 1st at 8.05 a.m. on ESPN2. The Deuce. The Deuce. That's right. Um, final, final race of the year. Yeah. Well, oh, man. Well, sweet. Yeah. Well, we got Formula E, everyone. Oh, my God. Uh, after <laughs> diving in, preparing for this uh, this primer um i'm i'm way more into it now have you watched the race yet i have or either of the races yes yes we are starting and ending this year with double heathers which i think makes sense double heathers double heathers (laughs) i love that musical let's just run it again (laughs) (laughs) motorsport basically is a high school drama so might as well just like throw on heathers Yes. Uh, yeah, we're going to do our primer for that in a hot second. We are, talk, yeah. Talk about all so, the stuff that has uh, changed this year. Uh, talk about it from a sort of a more generalist perspective. 
and uh yeah talk about all the all the xf1 drivers you will get to re-fall in love with on the uh, electric electric pavements of the world i think it's uh a third <laughs> of the grid has raced in f1 that sounds about right you saying yeah. electric pavements made me imagine like <laughs> what a formula e but with catenary wires above the, above the track <laughs> like uh like bumper cars yeah yeah i mean it's pretty much bumper cars already. it is we will I, we will get to that yeah. we will get to that yeah uh both, if you'd like the sound and the bumping <laughs> uh if you'd like to listen to that and uh support the show you can do so at patreon.com slash shift f1 uh anything else fellas nah last uh race of the year enjoy it it's a fun one i always love it i always get sentimental about the the sun setting on the f1 season and i don't know this year was a good one it, it feels like uh it feels like we're hopefully stepping into more exciting racing but uh yeah i think uh more than anything else this this season showed just how deep the talent pool is in f1 at the moment uh, certainly more so than it has been you know when yas marina started 11 years ago i think uh I think every team is, has got some good players. And if not, they've got somebody's rich son. <laughs> uh, you know, this weekend, I'm just going to be setting my feet up. And for me, this is the first race of the 2020 season. Like, okay. I don't think I don't think any beef has been squashed to Ferrari. Like, that's what that's what I'm here to watch for. It's just like what games are being played to set up for next year. Well, we shall see. Uh, have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.